We left off last week, and uh, just quickly in review, to catch anybody up that wasn't here, um, David sins with Bathsheba. He, he's on his roof, and he sees this woman um, taking a bath, whose name was Bath, Sheba, and, and he calls her to his house, and they have an affair, and she's a married woman, and David is a married man, and, um, and she comes back a few weeks later, and she tells David, or time later, and she tells David that she's pregnant. And so David comes up with a plan to bring her husband back from the war, let him go and sleep with his wife, and then would explain her pregnancy, and then her husband would go back to war, and then at whatever point he came home and the child was born or she was great with child at that time, that it, that it would explain you know, the, the birth of the child. The child could be born and they could raise the child and nobody would be none the wiser. Well, King David, as you guys know, as he brings this guy named Uriah the Hittite back, Uriah will, will not go in and sleep with his wife and help David cover up this affair. So David has to go to plan B, and as you guys know, he has Uriah murdered, and then, and then he takes um, um, Bathsheba into his house to be his wife, and um, the son that was born from the adulterous relationship dies. David prayed and fasted for her, or for the baby, I don't know, boy or girl, baby, for a, um, for a week, and the baby was ill, and at the end of the week, the baby was pronounced dead, and David got up, and he got back with life. He ended up marrying Bathsheba. God blessed their marriage, and God forgave them of their sins. There was, there was consequences, obviously, as we talked about, but David was forgiven of his sins. And then the first baby that uh, David and Bathsheba have as husband and wife is a young man named Solomon. And I think where we ended up last week was, was unpacking the idea that the Bible says, and God loved Solomon. And that was the concept last week that was just so powerful that even through this relationship that God so thoroughly and totally forgave David of his sin that he didn't hold any ill will towards the innocent child Solomon and that God loved Solomon. And, and so much so that of all David's wives and children, Solomon was chosen to be the next king of Israel. And that's about where we left off last week. That was in verse 24. And then in verse th- uh, 1 of chapter 13, it says, after this, Absalom, the son of David, who had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and, uh, and Ammon, the son of David, loved her. This woman, Tamar, that's mentioned in this, um, in this uh, story, you'll want to remember her name. She's, she's going to come back in the history of Israel as, for a special reason. But Ammon had a friend whose name was, was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. You know what that means? <laughs> he was a dirtbag. He was crafty. He was skillful in deception and in, um, you know, tricking people. And so Absalom comes to this guy that, you know, he's good with people. And, and, and not, not to just necessarily to say, right, that that's a bad quality to have, what this young man had, that he was crafty. But that's a dangerous gift to have, right? If you're a crafty person and um, you're good with people and situations and, you know, if you're not an honest person and if you don't have good motives, you can take that same skill and ability you have and use it in a wrong way. And, and that's what's going to happen with this young man. No, um, no, mor- no, no moral compass here. And so, and he said to him, why are, you the, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner every day? Will you not tell me, Ammon, Amnon, I'm sorry to him? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And so Joab said, Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. 
And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. And then Amnon lay down and pre- pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and as he was lying down, then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. And then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand, and that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. And then, and now when she had brought them to eat to him, he took a hold of her and he said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now, in verse 13, I'm not really sure there if um, she was trying to get out of it or, or if that's what she believed, that if Amnon had gone through the front door and, and went and asked King David and said, um, I love my half-sister, right? They would have had the um, same dad and, and a different mom. And so um, not completely as uncommon as that is today and as weird as that is today in those days. And, you know, everybody always asks you, everybody asks you, Hey, Bible guy, where did Cain get his wives? Anybody ever ask you that? Adam and Eve had a couple sons, and the only way they could have wives is if they did what? They married their sisters. <laughs> they married their sisters is the only way. There was no other women. It was Adam, they were all Adam and Eve's children. And in order for Adam and Eve to have grandchildren, Cain and Abel had to marry their sisters. But that was, the bloodlines were pure. They were before the, before the, um, um, uh, the flood and before some of those things and so they, they that was very common and even to, to the day as, as cultures and societies grew you saw a lot more of that now now obviously we, we don't do that we don't practice that God forbids it in the Bible um, and so she but she's telling him don't um, don't do this thing to me his plan is to rape her and take her forcefully and obviously she's saying that if you do this you know what that's going to cost me because unfortunately, right, in, in, in her society and maybe even in ours to some degree, that the, the woman who was the victim, um, she's going to be labeled. It's going to ostracize her. It's going to create problems for her. And, you know, they're going to they're going to label her a certain way as as, um, you know, an, an immoral woman. And she knows what it'll do. Nobody will want to take her as a husband. It'll ruin her legitimacy. And if it takes her virginity, she'll lose her opportunity to go on and live a blessed and normal life. And what he's doing has grave um, um, circumstances and consequences. And she says, just go to the king and tell him, and you want to marry me, and let's you know, do it right. But don't do it this way. Don't do this thing. However, verse 14, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her to lay with her. And then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So the hatred with which he hated her 
was greater than the love which with he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Rise and be gone. Now in verse 15, it says that the, 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 the hatred that Amnon had um, was greater than the love that he had for her. That term love there, right? That's a universal word in English, love, right? We use that same word for love. I love my wife. Jesus said to love your wives as Christ loved the church is the way it goes in English. But obviously this is not true love, right? This is a different kind of love. This is, this is lust. This, this, is, this is not, if you love somebody, you would never treat somebody the way that Amnon treated his sister. And because he gave into his lust, as oftentimes happened, once he, once he lay with his sister in his eyes, she became dirty and he hated her and he, and he resented her after that. And that lust that was driving him, that evil that was driving him turns on him. And as soon as he's done with her, he, he, he just had decided in his mind that he couldn't live without her. and He had to have her. Not only did he have to have her, but he couldn't even wait. He had to have her now. And as soon as he fulfilled that lust, something in his mind changed about her and his opinion of her changed. You know, and that, that's true, right, of, of, of human nature. And I think maybe some of us have experienced that idea, that same kind of thought, or that same experience. But, um, you know, and even for our young ladies, right, even for our women, you know, you know, as you're raising your daughters, as we're raising our, our, our young people and explaining this dynamic to them that, you know, for you to save yourself for marriage, for you to remain pure and save your purity, and that you, you think that, you know, you're getting pressure. And, and here, unfortunately, she got a lot of pressure. She didn't give in. She was forced. But, you know, there, there's pressure for you to to make compromises, but they won't pay off in the long run. And they, they will never give you what you think you're going to receive from that. And and eventually they'll backfire on you and that it, it will turn into hatred and, and, and it will be way worse. And, and you'll never get what you think unless you go God's way. You know, I tell my kids too in these areas about um, some of these things is that God doesn't say no to, to relationships and doesn't say no to intimacy. He says not now. And, and, and the thing is, we, we, we make sacrifices now, and we close doors, and we, and we stay narrow now so that it opens more doors in the future and gives us greater opportunity in the future that if, if, we, if we open now, that we close doors in our future, and we want to keep those opportunities um, in the future, and we're trying to protect our kids from, from those bigger things. And trying to see just a, a, a spiritual um, idea of, of, of intimacy and sex before marriage and that um, there's there's spiritual implications and there's you know um, the Bible says that when a husband and a wife um, get married that, that God's design right and you guys got to understand this so that you can explain this so that you can um, help people understand and know this but it says that the two become one flesh right isn't that what the Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church now. Um, no other relationship on planet Earth that God designed where two people literally become one flesh, right? You have great relationships with your daughters, with your sisters, with um, your, your father and son, with brothers, two brothers, two friends, can have amazing and great relationships. David and Jonathan, well, says God knit their hearts together and they loved each other as brothers and, and, and they were kindred spirits and, and just cared and loved for one another. And got along really well, respected each other wanted to, you know, hang out, but, but, their, but their souls didn't become one flesh. They, they didn't become knit together. 
So the way that God designed and why it's different between a husband and wife is because in sexual intimacy, what God does is he, he, he literally takes two souls and he knits them together. That's the spiritual aspect of, of sex that's not physical. And, and what the world wants to do and what, what people think about sex is that sex is just a physical act and there's no spiritual aspect. But that's not true. It's, it's spiritual. And for every, you know, um, you, sometimes in the locker room, people will use the expression, I got a piece of her or I got a piece of him. Well, that's actually literally spiritually. That's true. And, and you give a piece of yourself away. You know, you see somebody and that, that's very um, promiscuous and, 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 and lives a certain lifestyle. You know, the Bible says your eyes are a window to your soul. And it's oftentimes you can see it in somebody's countenance. You, you can see it. And every person that you've joined yourself to and every person that they've joined themselves to, you know, that, that all that mojo and all that stuff, you know, the demonic um, um, struggles that, that, that happen among prostitutes with prostitution. And, and not to get into it too deep today and detail it, but it's, I'll just tell you, it's true. And what happens is because when prostitutes join themselves to so many men, whatever kind of bad, evil spirit thing the men are dealing with, those things are being attached to these women. And, and literally it becomes very demonic in their lives. And, and oftentimes, even biblically, Mary Magdalene, right, was, was demon-possessed with multiple demons um, when Jesus set her free and she became a Christ follower uh, from, from uh, uh, that, that lifestyle. So, so the two become one flesh. So here, you know, we have this, this just turn in Amnon's heart. He wants her so bad. And as soon as he gets her, he just can't respect her anymore. He just doesn't love her anymore. He doesn't want her that way anymore. He wants her out of the room. He wants her out of his life. And he commands that she arise and be gone. And in verse 16, it says, So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. So now it's even worse. What you did to me was terrible, but if you marry me or if you, if you stick around, then there's still hope. But now you've really, really, really done me terrible. <clears throat> but he would not listen to her. And then he called his servants who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. And now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his, and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her. And he laid her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Why has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your, hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. So now Absalom and, and, and Tamar have the same mom and dad. Okay, um, Abs, uh, Tamar and Amnon had the same dad, David being the father, and, and different moms. So when Tamar gets home to her mom's house, her brother Absalom is there. And, and Absalom knows immediately that she's not wearing her, her coat of many colors. He sees there's a problem and he says, has, has Amnon done something to you? And he says, hold your peace, sister. I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm going to try to make this right for you. And then in verse 21, but when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had shears 
in Baal, Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And so Absalom invited the king's son. Now, um, one of the things we got to highlight here in verse 13 before we move on is that, or in chapter 13, verse 22, um, David saw what was going on. And what did David do about it? Two years later, it just goes to two years later. He didn't do, he didn't do anything. He just didn't deal with it. Why do you think David was unwilling to deal with um, Amnon's sin? He loved his son, I think obviously. Maybe another reason that we just studied. He had his own sin, right? Because he just got done doing the same thing. He felt like because of his own sin, who, who is he to discipline or deal with his son? Now, God forgave his sin. And because, you know, do you remember the prophecy? You can go back and look it up. But remember the prophecy that God gave David when, when Nathan the prophet came and, and, and called him on his sin? We've already seen some of it fulfilled. The baby was going to die. That was prophesied in that prophecy. We saw that in chapter 12. And now we're in chapter 13. The second part of that prophecy that Nathan gives to David was, was that David's house was going to be a mess. And that the things of David's house were going to be in, in a mess. And this story... As ugly as it is right now, I hate to tell you, spoiler alert, it's going to get worse. It's, it's going to get worse and worse in the life of David. And, and honestly, as we look back, right, and we look at the characteristics of David's life, one of the marks that David wears to this day is that he wasn't a good father. That's, that's kind, of, kind of stinky, right? Like, that's a bummer, but that's, you know, most theologians would say that, would agree. I think that's kind of the biblical narrative is that God definitely doesn't show too many highlights in King David's life of something that we can hang our hat on and say, man, this guy, not, not to say he didn't love his kids, but, but he, didn't, he didn't deal with them. They were, they were trouble. They were problems. Um, his kids all the way through caused him grief. And part of the reason is that David, um, first of all, he wasn't supposed to multiply wives to himself. So as he multiplied wives, he also multiplied kids. And I'm sure just the practical dynamic of being a hands-on um, father was very difficult. But at the same time, when David had opportunity that's recorded for us in the Bible, David doesn't discipline his sons. You know what the Bible says, parents, about disciplining your children and your sons? It says if you don't discipline your children, anybody? You hate them. How many of you guys hate your children? Nobody. So we have to discipline. And you know, the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not a command, by the way. I think some of us interpret that as a command, that you should spare the rod and spoil your children. No, that's not a command. That's a contradiction. If you spare the rod, you will spoil the child. And so that there, there is a place um, biblically that the Bible talks about in disciplining our children. Now, obviously, God does not condone abuse. And, and unfortunately, in the day and age we live, we've got to say that. But, you know, I think for the most people that, you know, we want to deal our children. And what did the world say? You know, one of the things when we adopted Gabrielle was there's a questionnaire that, that, that the, the social workers wanted us to answer and know. And they want to know what our opinion and what our, our policy is on disciplining our children and disciplining our family. And if on that questionnaire, if you, if you say or if you, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that, that spanking is, is highly frowned upon, right? And so, um, you know, the world has, has, has the idea that you have to, um, you have to, you know, time out and whatever, get in the corner and, and psychology. And but let, me, let me tell you what, um, biblically, what a, uh, a proper applied 
biblical spanking is in the Bible for your children. Again, and, and, and again, we're not talking about abuse. We're talking about good parenting that's biblical. But, but, but what it happens is this, is, this is the psychology behind it anyways, is that God created in each one of us a, a, a conscience that, that gets seared, much like David's problem. David's conscience was seared because of his own sin, so he, he didn't feel worthy or, or, or adequate, and he made a bad choice to not deal with his son in, in, in his sins. But what happens is you have a conscience, and you feel guilty when you do something wrong. Do you know why a lot of serial killers throughout history have gotten caught? Because they wanted to. They, they put enough clues out, and they, they put more and more and more, and eventually they wanted to get caught because of something that none of us, I don't care how bad and evil you become, it definitely becomes seared. The Bible talks about that part of our lives being seared with a hot iron. It's one of the warnings for us as Christians. It's one of the things we unpacked in the heart of David, right? That David had a heart that was soft. And one of the qualities of David that we all want is that David was a man after God's own heart. And David, through repentance, had a heart that was broken and contrite. Sacrifice you don't desire, God, or I would give it. A broken and a contrite heart. These things, O oh God, you desire. And David wanted to have that heart after God. And, and God says that when we sin and when we do things wrong, that conscience can become seared. But, but I don't care. It's still a part of the way that God created each one of us. And if you take a child who's done something wrong and, they're, and they're, they're feeling bad naturally about what they did and we're all sitting around the dinner table and the issue of the child's um, rebellion or sin hasn't been dealt with, then as we sit down and have dinner, it creates a, um, a separation in relationship. It creates an atmosphere where, where, we, 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 where, where the child is feeling guilty and then feels removed and feels a need of, 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 of unworthiness and adequateness, some of the same things David is dealing with here. And, and so that, that, that spanking, what it's, what it's designed to do, and I think you can accomplish this without spanking. I, I, I think you can do that. But what, it, what it's designed to do is, is to relieve or rid a child of that guilt feeling. So what, you know, James Dobson was the one who kind of wrote the book on it. But his idea was never with your hands, never in anger, never um, in a moment of reaction, but, but, um, but pulled aside, talked to, um, and, and this is just, and again, I'm just giving you what James Dobson writes in his book, okay? It's what he says. He says, um, you, you, you pull the child aside. Again, you can't be angry. You can't, you can't use your hand. So you use a spoon. You use a ruler, whatever your, your instrument is. You pull a child in, and you first have a conversation. And they have to, the thing is about spanking, they have to understand why they're getting spanked. If they, if they, even if they, it's obvious to everybody else, but they, when, when, the, when it's all over, they're like, what was that all about? Like, I didn't get it. Like, what did I do? So you've got to deal with that. Why, why are you going to get a spanking? Why are you going to get a spanking? Because I lied. Okay. And then you, you apply the discipline. And then when it's over, you hug and you tell them you forgive them. And in, in the Dobson formula, that you make the child at this point say they're sorry and apologize to you. So when it's over, after the discipline, the child has to say, um, I'm sorry, I lied. They can't just say, I'm sorry. They have to articulate why they're sorry. I'm sorry I lied. And then once they apologize, then you hug, you forgive them, you move on. And now when we sit at the dinner table after that's been done properly, what, what, how does the child feel? Forgiven? It feels like you're behind them. 
Their conscience is not bothering them anymore. They, they can interact with you and then with the family in a healthy way. And, and that's, the, the again, I believe the biblical, and again, with some help from James Dobson and, and kind of wrote the book on it, the biblical perspective of disciplining our children um, and, 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 and having a healthy spanking. You know, I had a friend, a pastor friend, actually, and he had a paddle at his house. And he wrote that scripture in Proverbs on the paddle that hung on the wall in his house. And it said, you know, he wrote them both on there. The scripture says, if you spoil, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. And then the second one that says, a father who doesn't discipline his, his child hates him. And so um, so that is the, the discipline. So anyways, as um, did we finish everything? I kind of feel like something's undone on that. But I think we got... I think we can move on. So the um, back to David. David is, is not a father. Now, what, what David should have done in this case is that this was a capital crime in Israel. And so David should have um, made um, this right by Tamar and, 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 and ordered the capital punishment of his son. That was the right thing to do was to discipline his son. Now, what we're going to see is a wave of death and destruction is going to come through David's family. And all of that wave of death and destruction could have been avoided if David um, dealt with this son. But because David refused to deal with this son or even discipline him, then the other people in, in, in King David's family, they're going to feel very slighted, and they're going to come up with the opinion that since my dad won't do it, I, somebody has to, I'll do it myself. And then, and then it starts a war among the siblings. And the war gets ugly. And, and, and then when it's all said and done, when the dust settles, the, 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 um, the death and destruction could have all been avoided and minimized had David come in and adjudicated justice um, with, with his son and what he did in raping Tamar. And then in verse 23, uh, or yeah, we read 23, let's read it again. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazar, which is near Ephraim, and so Absalom invited the king's son. And then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. And then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon come down. I like that guy. I want to hang out with him. Not. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? Maybe David kind of realized what was going on. Like, you don't even hang out with him. You don't even like him. And I know the bad blood between you guys. Now, it was two years earlier that this situation had happened. David did nothing for two years. And so Absalom, it's not like the next day. He's like, hey, hey Dad, tell that guy to come over here. I want to talk to him. His dad would have been a little wiser. But two years had passed. His dad still knew something was up. But maybe his dad's thinking, well, it's a good opportunity for the brothers to let bygones be bygones or whatever. And, and, and you know, they got to see each other at some point. And then Absalom said, if not, please honor my brother. Verse 27, but Absalom urged him. So he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when, he, when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. And do not be afraid. I have not commanded you. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. Rock shock. That's the Hebrew for be courageous and valiant. And so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. 
Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. And then it came to pass, while they were on the way, that news came to David, saying, Absalom has killed the king's son, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their, their clothes torn. And then Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, take the thing to his heart to think that the, the king's sons are dead, for only Absalom is dead. So they came and gave David this false report that all the sons are dead. This guy comes, he clears it up. Now David has, again, a dilemma on top of a dilemma. Now Absalom has killed Amnon. And, and at this point, I, I'm pretty sure David needs to deal with Absalom and his sin. But he's not going to do it. And then Absalom fled, and the young man was keeping watch, lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said to do so it is. So it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly, but Absalom fled and went to take... Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his sons every day. And Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been com com comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So it does say here, it's recorded that David loved his sons and he mourned for them. But um, he doesn't have a very good record of discipline them. Let's see how much of 14. Let's get into 14. We won't finish it, but let's, let's get a few, chap, few verses out of the way. So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. So Joab sent to Koah and brought for there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to mourn and put on mourning apparel and do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning for a long time and dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow and a husband. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but one struck the other and killed him. So basically it's going to go on. I'm going to skip a little bit. Let's skip down to like... Um, Verse 17, and it says, um, so the woman's going to come to David. And you remember, and she's going to tell a story that's not true. You remember Nathan came to David and he said, hey, there was a guy in your kingdom and he had one little ewe lamb and he loved it and he slept with it. And the rich guy next door had all tons of flocks. And he, the one guy, the rich guy took the poor man's one little ewe lamb. Well, she's giving something very similar to King David. She's giving him a story about she had two sons. And now if David's not starting to catch on that this is exactly telling his story about Absalom and Amnon. She had two sons, and they got in a fight, and one killed the other. And then the men came and said, hey, can you kill the son that killed the other one? She said, what should I do if I kill him? Then I'm, I'm as a mother, I'm, I'm out two sons instead of one. And, um, you know, and so, king, what should I do? And, and the king understood her pain and her plight, and he wanted to give her an opportunity to, to bring her son home because she was telling him, all the people are pressuring me. I have to kill the other son, and I don't want to do that. 
And so David's like, yeah, I get it, you know. And, and then basically she's going to give him the old Nathan line, no, David, you're the man. Like, this, this is about you. And David's going to figure it out. He's going to ask her, did Absalom, uh, did uh, Joab set you up to this? And then in um, verse 17, your maidservant said, the word of my Lord, the king, will now be comforting. And for as the angels of God, so is my Lord, the king, in discerning good and evil. At one point in this story, she says way up earlier, she says, uh, she says, can I, and she tells her a little story, and then she says to the king, can I just ask you one more question? And the king says, all right, fine, ask on. You know, a woman's not capable of that, right? She says, can I just say one more thing? That's what she says. And then like seven, 12 verses later, she's still talking. Verse 19 says, so the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left hand for anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me. And he put all these words in my mouth of your servant. So she came clean. She said, Yeah, this is all a story. Joab put me up to it. You know what it's about, but he wants you to deal with this this issue with your two sons. To bring about this charge of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the angel. And the king said to Joab, all right, I, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. And then Joab fell to the ground on his face, and he bowed himself, and he thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. And so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house. But do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now in all of Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him. I love when the Bible says that about people. Like, you know these were good looking people, right? When this, you talk about Fabio and, right, we talk about Rico Suave and, you know, these type of people. When, when, when God records that this kid was so handsome that there was nobody in Israel more handsome, and then God goes and qualifies it, and he says, from the sole of his feet to the top of his head, there was nothing wrong with this kid. Like, he was all that and a bag of chips. He had this long, flowing hair, and he would weigh it every year to see the change. Like, how vain are you, right, when you weigh your hair every year to see how it is and you know, eventually it's going to kill him. But you know, you're 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 flowing with his hair, and and, and you're so you're so uh, uh, proud of it, and you know, so vain. How much is your hair weigh, Ovi? <laughs> when you get home, you'll weigh it. Huh? So he, um, but it, it's recorded that Absalom was very handsome. He was he was very charming, and, and so again, the Bible doesn't exaggerate when it says these things. God bless this kid. And, and he was a handsome kid. Now, listen. Um, all right, I'm not going to say that. Let's, let's say something else. <laughs> I was going to talk about some of us less fortunate than Absalom, but um, God still loves us, right? Um, so, hey, check it out. Absalom, what he's going to do is, he, so where we are right now is that Absalom was, was gone after he murdered Amnon. And, and, and Joab felt like, like David should bring Absalom back. 
like the murder of Amnon was justified. It's something, the way the people around David felt like was, David, you should have, you should have killed Amnon yourself. Amnon deserved the death penalty. He deserved capital punishment. You wouldn't deal with it. So Absalom had to, you know, thank God that Absalom actually had the guts to do it and did the right thing. So bring the kid back already. Let him come back. And, and, and you know, he was in exile during all this time. So David wouldn't listen to anybody. So finally, Joab comes up with this scheme to have this woman come in and tell the story. So David agrees. But what David did, you guys catch that? What David did was he said, okay, he can come back, but I don't want to see, he can't see my face. He's not coming to dinner at my house. I'm not going to his birthday parties with his kids. He can come back, but we're, we're not going to hang out. He can't see me. He can't be anywhere that I am. So now Absalom is back, but Absalom is very bitter at his father because his dad won't do what we talked about, the, the, the biblical discipline issue. How did his dad come and dealt with it? You know, talking about sitting around the dinner table and clearing the air and the conscience. David, if David would have done that and brought Absalom back, he might not have run into these problems. But now David is compounding his bad parenting skills and, and, and the mistakes he made on Amnon. He's going to make way worse on Absalom, and he's not getting any better in this, this whole scenario. He didn't discipline him, nor will he um, love him and bring him back in and clear the air and tell him, hey, you're my son, I love you, you know, this is the, the issue, you know, discipline him and then bring him back in. So Absalom's going to begin to um, commit treason against his father, and it's going to get really ugly, okay? So I'll read, actually, I'm almost done with this, so I'll read the rest of 14, and then we'll call it a day, but um, Absalom is going is, to, he's going to stand in the city gates is what it says. And as people come in the city gates, that's where all the business happened in the city in Jerusalem and any of the ancient cities. That's where the city council would meet. That's where the, 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 the men in, would, would talk about the, theology and philosophy and government. And so, so Absalom would stand at the city gate, and as people came in, he would say, hey, tell me your problems. Tell me your issues. And they'd say, oh, man, I, you know, I got this problem with my neighbor, and he, you know, he's doing this and that. And Absalom said, man, if I was king... I would deal with that. I would make a law in the city that would protect you from those things. If I was king, I would take care of you. And, and person after person and day after day, Absalom sat in the, in the city walls and the gates of the city and he schmoozed and he, and, he, and, he, and he talked to all the people that came in and out and, and he won them over to his side. And pretty soon, because of Absalom's treachery against his own father, and he would talk bad about his dad and talk good about himself. And I'm sure he was some, one, of that, one of those guys that was easy to talk to. He was definitely easy to look at, the Bible already told us. So he would hang out and talk to people, and he, and he, was, he was committing treason against his father, and eventually he was going to cause a revolt and try to kill his father and take his, his throne by force. Let's look at uh, 27. We're going to read through this. Um, 26. And when he had cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. So, like, this is two long verses to tell us how physically blessed this Absalom kid was. Not only that, how many of you guys could grow, like, enough hair every year to weigh it on a thing that is this beautiful, wavy, since Vidal says soon hair, you know, that you weighed at the end of every two years. And in verse 27, it says, To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. So he named his daughter after um, his sister, and she was of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab and sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent it again a second time, he would not come. 
So he said to his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field of Joab on fire. And Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Dude, Jerry Springer don't got nothing on the Bible. I just want to tell you that. Dude, the drama in the Bible is way worse. And, and so Joab, you know, this, the, or Absalom, this, you know, handsome, rich kid, son of the king, he's so spoiled and he's such a brat and he's such, like, privileged that he, Joab is like, you guys remember stories of Joab? Joab is like a vicious killer. He's like the real deal soldier. Joab puts a spear through somebody and it goes through them, through the earth and into the ground and sticks these people to, their, to, to the earth. I mean, this dude is no joke. Joab is the guy who like pushed the back of his spear back just a little bit with the blunt end of his spear and the kid was chasing him and it hit him in, the, in his stomach and the blunt end of the spear came out of the kid's back. That's Joab. Like Joab is no joke. And Absalom thinks it's a good idea to set his fields on fire because he won't answer his phone calls. You can't make this stuff up, dude. And Joab, so it worked. Joab shows up. Joab's not going to do anything to him. He's the son of the king. So, so Joab comes to him. He says, dude, why would you set my field on fire? He's like, you should answer my call. i got to talk to you. And Absalom answered Joab, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have you come to Geshur? It would have been better for me to still be there. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told the king. And when he had called for Absalom, he gave to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Um, we'll pick up there next week, verse 5, chapter 15. Um, not going to get any better. Absalom is going to just continue to go south. You guys can read ahead if you'd like. Absalom, you know, in the prophecy as well from um, Nathan, he said that, that, that his, his sons would go into his wives. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Absalom is going to build a tent in the city of Jerusalem in, in the public eye. And he's going to have all of David's wives marched into the tent so he can sleep with them um, to prove dominance over his, over his father. It's going to get that ugly. Let's stand.